26, verse 1 says, When Jesus had finished all these things, he said to the disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and killing him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive oil, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, he has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver, and from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Good to see you this morning. My name's Mike, and it's really uh, good to see so many people back physically with us at church. Uh, we're getting back into Matthew's Gospel, 26, 27, and 28. Um, one of the questions that I think these chapters ask us, or makes us think about, um, is the question, uh, how often do you find yourself speaking about death? How often is death like the topic of your conversations? Um, perhaps if um, someone you know, like a loved one or a friend has died, then you'll um, know and engage with death very, in a very real and personal way. And you've probably spoken about it quite a lot. You've probably expressed um, grief. And you've spoken about memories of that loved one or a friend. Um, over in Kids Church, every now and then, kids think about death if their pet has died. And, uh, you know, a couple of times I've had the question, you know, will my dog be in heaven? And that's when they think about death. I usually go with Billy Graham's lead on this one and say something like, well, you know, heaven is a place where you'll be happy forever. And if God wants you to be happy and needs your dog to make that happen, then your dog will be happy. Use that one. Or you can think of a better one. Um, or perhaps just in the last few strange years, you've actually been thinking about death because of the whole COVID situation. Um, but it seems to me generally that we sort of speak about death when death happens. It's kind of based on our circumstances. When we see, when we hear about it, when the death occurs, that's when we talk about death. Matthew 26 and 27 are fascinating because you'll notice that Matthew doesn't just kind of end his book and say, and Jesus died, like a really terrible year 12 essay. He actually spends two lengthy, lengthy chapters trying to help us understand death marvel and the wonder and the beauty and the significance of Jesus' death. And part of what he wants us to do and help us to do is actually to become better death speakers. Not just when death happens, but actually
actually the death particularly of our Lord Jesus would be so part of our daily speech and our daily actions. So that's one of the prayers from um, Matthew 26 today as we get back into this chapter. So will you um, bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering many of us today to listen to this precious part of Matthew's Gospel. Would you please enable us to understand the significance of Christ's death so we may become speakers of his death to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, for those of you who've been around for the last number of years, it feels like we started Matthew's Gospel way back when the Beatles first taught Australia in 1964. Um, but I promise you this, all things being equal, and unless Jesus returns, we're going to finish the book by Easter this year, chapters 26, 27, and 28. And particularly as we journey, Matthew is going to help us understand some of the significance of this so important death of Christ. So come with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26 really does mark the beginning of the end. You'll notice there in verse 1, he says, When Jesus had finished all his sayings. So we've been journeying through Matthew, and Jesus has spoken about life in the kingdom. He's spoken about his disciples going on mission. He's spoken about the beauty of life in the church, and he's spoken about the end times with authority. And now Jesus has finished all his sayings. And now he will turn his face towards the cross as he heads towards his death. And the first thing you'll notice here is that he frames his death in words of safety and assurance. Come with me to verse 2. He says to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. You know, Jesus knows when he will die during the Passover. Jesus knows how it's going to happen. It's going to happen through crucifixion. And he knows who it's going to happen to the Son of Man. Now just to jog your memories from the previous chapters, the language the Son of Man is really important to help you understand about Jesus' death. So um, in the Old Testament, um, the Son of Man is sometimes just used to describe people in general. So, um, you know, like uh, Josh is a Son of Man, Jamie is a Son of Man, Anne's a Son of Man. But in one particular place, and I'm sure many of you know it, Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man refers to someone very particular. And the Son of Man is the one who approaches the Ancient of Days and receives all the keys to the kingdom and will have all power and authority over heaven and earth. And Jesus is saying here, I know all about my death, and it's going to happen to me, the Son of Man, who will be given all authority and power. Jesus wants his disciples to know firstly that when it's going to come to his death, he's actually got it all sorted. It's all going according to the plan of God. As the millennials love to say, I've got this. I've got this. And if you have a look at verses 3 and 4, it's fascinating. This is how big our God is. That even when the chief priests 
can the elders kind of gather together? And even if they think they're coming up with the most cunning, stealthy plan, even if they think in their own minds that they're making the most autonomous choice, it doesn't fall outside the plan of God. But sometimes we think about God being in control and think that everyone makes robotic choices because God's in control of everything. But the chief priests and elders, they actually plot and they decide and they make choices which seem like they're completely self-willed. But our God is so big that he controls the events of even those autonomous thinkers and he brings about his definite will for definitely Now, friends, this is such an important truth for you and I to remember. I mean, the time in history where you and I have more choice than previous generations, you and I have the freedom to choose what jobs we have, the freedom to choose where our kids might go to school, the freedom to choose what kind of relationships we enter and stay away from. It can be very easy for us to lose sight of the very revealed will of God in the God's plan. Sometimes our speech, we can use the will of God language to talk about, you know, maybe it's God's will that I get this job or that job. Or I hope it's God's will that I actually um, end up marrying this person or that person. Or maybe it's God's will that my child goes here and not there. And the danger is that we actually start to use the language of the will of God, more to talk about our own will rather than the very revealed will of God in the Scriptures. Matthew 26 wants to say to us, what is God's will for your life? Well, it all centers around the death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The will of God for your life and for my life is to come and receive and accept that forgiveness the death of Christ offers, the will of God for your life and for my life is to speak about that death to our friends, to speak and encourage each other of the death of Christ. And I, and I do this all the time. I think, um, I'm not sure if it's God's will to end up in this place. But I think Matthew challenging us here, do you want to live out the will of God for your life? Speak about the death of Christ, and this is what Matthew 26 is here to say first and foremost. Well, the second part, an important part of Matthew 26 this morning, is what I've called um, the coronation of death in verses 6 to 13. Now, for those of you who don't know what a coronation is, it's basically a symbolic ceremony to crown a king or a queen. Now, this is very foreign to us because the last coronation that actually relates to us as a country is Queen Elizabeth II. Now, does anyone want to take a stab? Does anyone want to guess what year Queen Elizabeth II's coronation was? Just have a guess. I heard 1970-something before that. Yeah, I think we're in the 50s. We're in the right bracket. 1952, very close, one year off, 1953, year one. 1953, so it's a foreign concept to us 
and I had to YouTube some clips of the Queen's coronation. And let me just say, thank God for Netflix, because the Queen's coronation, not the most riveting television. In Matthew 26, 11, the coronation of Jesus, much more exciting. Let me show you why. Number one, the coronation of Jesus here doesn't happen in the grand halls of the Westminster Abbey. Where does it happen? It happens in the house of a leper. And talk about lack of venues. Number two, in the Queen's coronation, there's a few drops of oil that are just dabbed on the Queen. Jesus' coronation, a whole flask gets poured upon Jesus' head. This is an exciting coronation. Number three, the Queen's coronation went according to the run sheet. Very British, very slow, but everything went according to the run sheet. Have a look at Jesus' coronation in verse 8. The disciples see this woman emptying this flask of oil, and they stand up and they interrupt the run sheet and say, Why this place? So this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Um, I feel like the disciples do about Valentine's Day. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. I just think, why would you buy anything on Valentine's Day? just like triple the price and it sets the relationship too high. Um, you may as well save the money for a better cause. But it's interesting here, and I want you to note that Jesus responds and how he defends the woman, because it's quite interesting. He says, you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Now, it's not clear in all Bibles, but what Jesus is doing here He's actually quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy 15 says, um, You'll always have the poor in your land, so therefore open up your arms to them, take care of them. God is encouraging his people to take care of the needy. So Jesus isn't saying, Don't take care of the poor. He's saying, He's simply trying to teach his disciples. He's simply trying to tell them, I'm only going to be with you for a little bit longer. I'm only going to be with you for a few more days. So this woman's done a beautiful thing because she's drawn the attention of the poor. For those of you who have lost a loved one or a friend, and if God has given you the opportunity to spend those last weeks or those last days with this person, you will know that that is the time to drop them. The kind of spend time with them, to sit by their side, to hold their hand, to pray with them, to share words of encouragement and stories. And it's not that the other things in life don't matter. But you've got a few more days with this person, and that is the time to give your attention and focus. Fascinating coronation this would have been. I would like to have been there. But all these details, there's actually one most significant detail in verse 11 and 12. After saying that they will always have the poor with them, he says in verse 12, in pouring this ointment 
on my body. He has done it to prepare me for burial. He has done it to prepare Jesus for death. So whatever the woman thought she was doing, whatever the disciples thought should be done, Jesus himself makes it clear that this act, this anointing, was to mark his death. Was to mark his death. And this is a really important detail of this text. Very important detail. Jesus is saying that his death is the important thing. But as we've seen, that this is actually a coronation of a king. So how do those two things go together? Because when you coronate a king or a queen, they don't die. They're actually ready to rule. Here's the important detail. That Jesus' death was the gateway to his heavenly rule. Jesus' death was the gateway to his heavenly rule. The Son of Man to receive the kingdom, to receive the keys of all authority and rule, must first Crucifixion before the crown, humiliation before exaltation. Friends, that is so important because when we speak, when we become deaf speakers about our Lord Jesus, we're not speaking about someone whose life has ended, whose memories we can share. We're actually speaking about a death which coronated the king. We're speaking about a celebratory death, a rejoicing death, a death that actually conquers all of death, the cross before the crown. So friends, be joyful, death speakers. I know death is not a fun topic, not usually a happy topic, but when it comes to the Lord Jesus, Matthew wants to say, actually this death is a death worth Our passage today finally ends in verses 14, 15, and 16 uh, with, with Judas. Now, we're going to come back to Judas a little bit later. But Judas, here you'll notice, he's the one who goes to the chief priest and says, what will you give me if I deliver Jesus over to you? They pay 30 pieces of silver. Now, I've been thinking about this, these verses for a long time, probably too much. And it would be very simple me to say, look, just like Judas betrayed Jesus for money, don't betray your friends for money. That's a very safe application. In fact, there's no safer application than don't betray your friends for money. Right? Like, if you're ever stuck for application, just say, don't betray your friends for money. It's hard to argue against that. But it doesn't sound right, and it's not right, I don't think. Because Matthew doesn't actually give us any insight into Judas's motivation. We don't actually get much commentary on Judas. So what are these three verses doing right here? I suspect these three verses are here to reinforce the idea that God has been pulling the strings of Jesus' death all along. I want to show you this to you. 
And I want you to come back to the start of the passage. So I want to go in, in steps. Jesus, when did Jesus say he was going to die? He was going to die during the Passover. In verses 3 to 5, you remember that little cuddle? The chief priests know as they try to make a plan and they think to themselves, okay, let's not kill him during the Passover. He's too popular. He's too popular. So we're not going to kill him during the Passover. So at that point in the story, if it was up to the chief priest, when would they kill Jesus? After the Passover. But remember, Jesus' plan was always to die during the Passover. So by the time you get to verse 14, this is beautiful orchestration, by the way. Judas steps back in and says, you know, I've got a plan to kill him during the Passover. I know his movements. I know when he's going to be alone. I can get him alone for you so you can kill him during the Passover, just as God had planned. Man, we cannot pull strings like that apart from the great God working. Isn't that incredible? That all that orchestration, pulling those strings, just so the very will of God would happen just as he As we journey through Matthew 26 and 27 and 28, one of my hopes and one of my prayers is that um, you and I are clothed in our love and our appreciation of this very important death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what Matthew is going to help us to do, just like a counselor, is to help give us some of the categories to understand the significance of Jesus' death. Because I know you all know that it's important, but we don't always have the language to express why it's important. And I, I, I've seen a counsellor a few times, and the first time the counsellor asked me, you know, um, tell me how you're feeling, and I just sit there and I just, I just get hungry. And that's it. I didn't have the categories to express what was going on inside. Um, in a similar way, Matthew 26 and 27 especially, is here to help give some categories and some system to understand just how deep and how wide and how beautiful is the death of our Lord Jesus. So we may become deaf speakers, convicting and joyful. So make notes, come along. If you're not part of a midweek group, come along to study some of the details of 26, 27 and 28. And together, prayer is that we become people who can speak um, daily that we may grow personally in our understanding 
may be a great encouragement to those that we are in fellowship with. Father, we ask this for your son's sake. Amen.